Please turn in your copies of God's Word to 1 Timothy chapter 5. First Timothy chapter 5, and last time we considered how the church is to function as a family and how that is to be played out particularly in the care of the widows within the congregation. This morning we come to the end of uh, this chapter, and we also come to, the, to Paul's final exhortation concerning those who hold the office of elder. Just as with the other portions of this letter, which focused on the offices of the church, this passage is not only for the officers, but it's for the entire congregation as well. So with that in mind, give your attention to the reading of the infallible Word of God from 1 Timothy chapter 5, beginning at verse 17. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in, in the Word and doctrine. For the Scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox, that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. Against an elder receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. Them that sin rebuke before all, that others also may fear. I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels, that thou observe these things without preferring one, one before another doing nothing by partiality. Lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be partaker of other men's sins. Keep thyself pure. Drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thine often infirmities. Some men's sins are open beforehand, going before to judgment. And some men they follow after. Likewise also the good works of some are manifest beforehand. And they that are otherwise cannot be hid. Thus far the reading of God's word. May, he, may we ask his blessing upon it now. O Lord, we are thankful for this Word which Thou hast given us, and we trust that this Word has been prepared for us for this day, for this cause, for this purpose. That Thou wouldst be glorified here in this place. O Lord, we ask that Thou wouldst feed us with this Word. Give us ready and open ears to hear what this Word has for us. Give us hearts to receive this Word with gladness and with joy and with thanksgiving, seeking to apply this Word to our lives. And O oh Lord, let this Word be used as a tool to guide us in the way that we as a congregation must go. 
Lord, we ask that what is preached today would not be the opinion of man, but would be the very Word of God. Let the minister decrease so that Christ Jesus would be magnified. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as we come to this final portion of chapter 5 in this letter, we must remember that Paul is instructing Timothy in the operations of the church and Specifically here, he's giving his closing words regarding the office of elder. In the evangelical church today, there are many who have an incredibly flawed misunderstanding of this office. And specifically in regards to what is expected of the elders and what's expected of the congregation regarding the elders. There are some congregations in which the elders of the church, and, and very uh, likely this would mean that only one man who is the pastor, that, that they're placed on some sort of spiritual pedestal. And that he's immune to the instructions of this chapter. He's not honored in the way that Scripture commands, but instead is elevated to a position of quasi-deification. He's brought up to a celebrity status, thus making the congregation much more like a cult following than anything truly resembling biblical Christianity. And oftentimes attached to this, and especially in the more charismatic circles, is the untouchable nature of the elder from any form of true church discipline. So many times they twist the meaning of Psalm 105 saying, touch not the Lord's anointed. This has allowed so many men to get away with so many wicked abuses and perverse sins all being swept under the rug for the sake of not touching the Lord's anointed. without even touching on how blasphemous this ideology is, it's clear to see how wicked this perversion of the truth is and how much it damages the body of Christ. Friends, the Lord Jesus Christ is clear on who is to govern His church and how His church is to be governed and what is required of those who govern. Here in our passage, Paul lays out for us Simple teaching regarding these things. So we'll consider Paul's charge for the elders this morning and we'll do so by considering three heads. First, the honor of elders. Next, the solemnity of elders. And finally, the conduct of the congregation. Let's first consider the honor of the elder. 
Look with me at verses 17 to 20. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they that labor in the word and doctrine. For the Scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. Against an elder receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. Them that sin rebuke before all, that others may also may fear. The apostle explicitly says that there is an honor that is due to those who rule well within the office of elder. This is the primary function of this officer to be a ruler of the church, to be a governor of the church. This is why historically the office of ruling elder was referred to as the office of church governor. But all who hold this office of elder, whether they be church governors or be ministers, they are given the task of ruling within the church and they are called by the Lord to rule well. For this cause, the elders who rule well are worthy of double honor. Calvin comments, in short, he means that honor is not due to the title, but to the work performed by those who are appointed to the office. Yes, there is an honor that is due to those simply because they hold the office. But what the Apostle is speaking of here is an extra honor that is due to those who fulfill the obligations and duties of this office well. Who don't simply do the bare minimum, but are actually devoted to exercising this office to its fullest extent. Friends, you here in this congregation, you are called to honor those whom the Lord has appointed over you as under-shepherds, especially if they are fulfilling their duties in an excellent manner. The calling of an elder is a difficult one. It's full of trials and hardships and disappointments, but it's one which is done out of love and care for the congregation and for Christ. What an encouragement it is to your elders for you to show them the honor that is due them for this high and holy calling. Because they've been called to this. And even more so, how, how encouraging would it be for you to show double honor to those who are diligent in this work? Let me encourage you not to shy away from showing this love and appreciation, this gratitude and this honor to your elders. And Paul says that this is especially true of those elders who labor in, in the Word and doctrine. Ministers are given wholly to the task of the office and any slacking in fulfilling these duties is seen clearly by all and it's felt by all. If the minister is not ruling well according to his office, then the entire congregation suffers for it. 
This is why it's so important that the minister not be distracted by other worldly employments or the need for physical care and sustenance. He's to make his living from his office. For the Scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. Here Paul is quoting the Old Covenant law that's found in Deuteronomy 25 and verse 4, as well as the words of Christ in Luke 10 verse 7. He explains this teaching further in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verses 9 through 14. For it is written in the law of Moses, thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Doth God take care for oxen? Or saith he it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he that ploweth should plow in hope. And he that thresheth in hope should be partaker of his hope. If we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things? If others be partakers of this power over you, are not we rather? Nevertheless, we have not used this power, but suffer all things, lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. Do ye not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple? And they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar. Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. Now this can get somewhat awkward when this passage and the passage in 1 Corinthians 9 are preached on because it can come across as though the minister is trying to guilt the congregation into giving him more money. So please believe that this is not what I'm trying to do. I'm trying only to show you the necessary application of this passage. The work of gospel ministry is what I and any other minister of the gospel have been called to. This is what our profession is. Not that we view it as a profession, but that it is where our livelihoods come from. Paul likens ministers to the officers of the church found in the Old Covenant who were given their provisions by that which was given to the temple. Do ye not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple? And they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar. That which is given to the church is to be used in part for the payment of your minister for his labors because he is worthy of his hire. This is the ideal which the Lord has appointed not that there aren't any extenuating circumstances which can require a minister to have to have a second job. After all, Paul himself was a tent maker. But the ideal is that this should not be the case. 
The minister ought to be making his living off of the ministry of the gospel. Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. There are far too many within the church today who rightly reject the wicked prosperity gospel, but have erroneously embraced an equally wicked poverty gospel. And for some reason, they apply this poverty gospel only to ministers. I've actually heard men say that ministers should make just enough to scrape by because they are to be sacrificial servants. Friends, this is wicked. Calvin writes, and how intolerable is the ingratitude of those who refuse to support their pastors to whom they cannot pay an adequate salary. It's ingratitude. Ministers are men who oftentimes have advanced degrees in theology and who devote more than full-time hours to the work of the ministry. They ought to be remunerated for that work accordingly. Matthew Henry adds, God, both under the law and now under the Gospel, has taken care that His ministers be well provided for. Does God take care for the oxen? And will He not take care of His own servants? The ox only treads out the corn of which they make the bread that perishes, but ministers break the bread of life which endures forever. And if the minister is to receive this remuneration from that which is given to the church, then it is imperative upon you that you be giving to the church. The life of the ministry and the life of your minister depend on it. And the last point that the Apostle makes here concerning the honor that is given to the elders concerns how they are to be approached with accusations of sin. Against an elder receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses, them that sin rebuke before all, that others also may fear. This as well is a reaffirmation of the Old Covenant law found in Deuteronomy 17.6. This law is to be applied to all people, but how much more so ought it to be applied to one who has been called to office within the church? This is a way of protecting those who are within office because the truth of the Gospel, when it is being proclaimed, if the work of the church is being done according to the precepts of the Lord, then there are bound to be people who will get offended and who will seek to take out their offense on the elders of the church. This command is a necessary remedy against the malice of men. It's the godly ministers, the godly elders who are oftentimes the victims of the most vicious attacks and slanders against Christ's bride. 
Therefore, the safeguard of requiring two or three witnesses in order for a charge to be brought against an elder is necessary. But Paul also says that if a charge is found to be true, if the elder is found to be in sin, then his discipline must be made known publicly so as to not tarnish the name of Christ and so as to warn all who hear of the seriousness of such sin. One of the purposes of church discipline is to warn others so that they may not fall into a sin of like manner. This is why when discipline is carried out, the pronouncement of the censure is done before the congregation. Yes, the elder is worthy of honor, and that honor ought to be part of the safeguard against unjustly tarnishing his good name. But that honor is not a get-out-of-sin-free card. In fact, his sin ought to be judged with a greater judgment because of that office which he holds. Paul goes on in our passage to speak of the solemnity of the elder. Look with me at verses 21 to 23. I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that thou observe these things without preferring one before another, doing nothing by partiality. Lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be partakers of other men's sins. Keep thyself pure. Drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thine often infirmities. This office of elder is a sacred office. It's not one which can be taken lightly. And the duties that are required of this office are just as sacred and must be undertaken with a sense of solemnity. He writes this portion with a graveness about what he's speaking of. He gives it in the form of a solemn charge. This, his appeal is before God, who is the Lord of all, who is the foundation of our faith. His appeal is before the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the one who purchased His church through the shedding of His blood. And who is the king and head of his church? And his appeal is before the elect angels who are present with us in the gathering of the saints. And who are the messengers of God of all which takes place within the congregation. This threefold appeal brings forth the weightiness of this charge which is given to all who undertake this holy office. And the first part of the charge is this that thou observe these things without preferring one before another, doing nothing by partiality. The sin of partiality is one in which we are all prone to, and it's one which will destroy the work of the ministry if it's found within those in the leadership of the church. If you are called to serve in this office, you cannot let your own personal opinions and relationships dictate how you will rule. To show deference to one person above another is to do violence to the unity of the body of Christ. 
You must rule with truth and justice, with righteousness and equity. And if you cannot do this, then you ought not serve in this office. He goes on in this charge to apply the solemnity of the elder to the act of ordination itself. Lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be partaker of another men, of other men's sins. Keep thyself pure. There are too many men within the church today who hold the office of elder, whether they be church governors or ministers, who have had hands laid on them in haste. They may have believed that they had an internal call to the ministry. They may even have gone through the process to have that external call confirmed in their lives. But in actuality, they've never been called by the Holy Ghost. They've never been called by Him to be ordained to service in Christ's church. Friends, this is something that we must be especially careful to guard against. Just because there's a need in the church for more elders doesn't mean that we simply elect men and then ordain them, uh, anyone, uh, to just fill that need. We cannot forego God, the God-ordained qualifications which are necessary for a man to fill the office. I've spoken to some of you about this very thing. And I've said multiple times that I would rather us have no elders and have to request a temporary governing body from our presbytery than to just put a man into office in order to fill a need. Believe me when I say that a man hastily ordained to the office of elder will destroy a church and he will besmirch the name of Christ. And this is done because he will fail to uphold his duties of this sacred office. Too many men take vows of ordination lightly as though there's some kind of suggestion they go off running rogue within the church. They commit all kinds of sins against the brethren and against Christ. And those who've laid hands on these men in haste bear in part their guilt in these sins. With this being such a solemn office, that solemnity must flow through to the electing and ordaining men to this office. This is to ensure that the elder is kept pure from the sin of haste and from the sins of those hastily ordained. Good men have fallen prey to the sins of a man who ought never to have held the office of elder. May we be sure to follow the pattern that Christ has laid out and not fall prey to such things as well. And you may be thinking to yourself that this last verse in this section seems a little out of place. Drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thine often infirmities. On face value, it does seem to be out of place. 
but this is characteristic of Paul's writing where he tends to add things in the middle of a point that's being made which seem to be a bit random. But I think on deeper inspection we can see that this verse is actually a practical application of the solemnity of the elder. Very likely Paul had or, or very likely Timothy had chosen to abstain from the personal use of alcohol in order to portray himself uh, in order to not portray himself in a worldly manner to those who were within the congregation. He understood his office and was respecting that with solemnity. But here Paul is exhorting him to use a little wine for his stomach, lightly speaking of some gut health issue that Timothy was suffering at the time. And this speaks to the solemnity of the office because there is an encouragement here to be a man of moderation and to not be hesitant to use the good things which the Lord has given us. Yes, alcohol can and does get abused by many within society. And there are some who would look upon an elder who partakes of a beverage on occasion in disdain. But this is a perfect opportunity to show that understanding uh, that the office of elder is one of example setting. No man ought to look down upon an elder who either intentionally abstains from personal alcohol use or who chooses to exercise his godly Christian liberty in partaking of that good gift which God has given, which maketh the heart merry. Set the example in this solemn office of moderation. And finally, the Apostle Paul concludes this passage of Scripture by speaking of the conduct of the congregation. Now, look with me now at verses 24 and 25. Some men's sins are open beforehand, going before to judgment, and some men they follow after. Likewise also the good works of some are manifest beforehand, that they are otherwise... They that are otherwise cannot be hid. There are some within the corporate body of Christ who are openly rebellious against the truth of the Gospel and the law of God. These are men who sin openly, who are high-handed in their sins, who are brazen in their misconduct, these men will reap their judgment. Friends, your conduct will be brought to bear as a member of the church of Christ. No sin that you do will be left without judgment, especially those sins which are done in the open. This is one of those unfortunate yet necessary duties of being an elder as an overseer of the flock here in this place it will be your responsibility to discipline those who are wayward and sinning with an openness included in this are those who 
knowingly neglect the covenant which they have made in their membership vows. To neglect the ordinances of God, the corporate worship, the fellowship of the saints, the supporting of the local body, the submission to the government and discipline of the church is to sin openly and it must be dealt with. You as members of this church have a covenantal obligation to keep those vows which you have made before Jehovah. To fail to do so can and will result in both the judgment of the Lord and the discipline of the church. And elders, you must be willing to do this even when it's tough. Even when it means confronting those whom you are close to. And this is to ensure that others do not follow in those footsteps. The failure to discipline those who are in sin will give others the notion of ability to commit such sin themselves. May it never be so here among us. But friends, there's also an encouragement for those who do good. Likewise, also, the good works of some are manifest beforehand. There are some within the congregation who do good works and do them openly, manifest before all to see. These people ought to be praised for doing that which the Lord has called them to do. As you give yourself to the church, as you commit yourself to the ordinances of God, as you commit yourself to the corporate worship and to the fellowship of the saints, as you commit yourself to supporting the local body and to submitting yourself to the government and discipline of the church, you ought to be recognized for your faithfulness. And you will be. Both by the Lord who will bless you with a greater blessing here in this life and in that which is to come, and by your leadership as we thank the Lord for providing such faithful members within the body. I thank God that so many of you are devoted to these things and you, you've made them a priority in your lives. You do not do them for praise or recognition, but they are worthy of praise. These good works ought to be done openly for all to see so that you too will set an example for others to follow in these matters. Just as there is a tendency for the sinner who has been allowed to continue without being disciplined to cause others to join him in his sin, so too is there a tendency for those who are committed two good works in the church to embolden others to be more faithful in their own obligations by doing good works as well. This ought to be encouraged among us here so that anyone who looks from the outside in can see that the love of Christ is here among us. And they can see how a devotion to Christ brings forth a devotion to His bride. And finally, the Apostle closes with a solemn warning 
to the congregation, and they that are otherwise cannot be hid. While there are some who sin openly, the majority of those who sin, sin in secret. Paul is warning that those who sin in secret cannot remain hidden forever. Calvin comments, he means that although the sins of some men may be concealed longer than we would wish and are slowly brought to light, yet they shall not always be concealed, for they too shall have their own time. Friends, those hypocrites within the church who outwardly profess to be of Christ but put on a sh- and, and put on a show of good works, but secretly they are vile and wretched men, they will be made known. This is what the Lord Jesus Christ warns of in Luke 12. Beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. Therefore, whatsoever ye have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light, and that which ye have spoken in the ear and closets shall be proclaimed upon the housetops. Many times this happens in, the life, in this lifetime because sin has a tendency to make itself known. You may be able to hide your hypocrisy from your friends and from your brethren, but the day will come when it will no longer be hidden. And if that day is in this lifetime, then the obligation placed upon the elders is one of discipline of the erring member. But for some, their hypocrisy is hidden all throughout this life. And it's not revealed until the day of judgment. But Christ Jesus says in Matthew 12.36 that in the day of judgment you will give an account for every idle word which you have spoken. Nothing will be hidden in that day. Oh dear friends, I plead with you to not let your sin find you out in that last day. Repent of it and turn to Christ Jesus, the One who washes away your sins. Believe the promise of 1 John 1.9 that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Be not a hypocrite, but instead be one who is clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Brothers and sisters, as we anticipate the election of officers this afternoon, and as we move forward as a congregation seeking after the will of Christ Jesus for His church, let us keep these things in mind. If you're called to serve in the office of elder, do so with an understanding of the nature of this office, that it is a weighty thing to be called an under-shepherd of Christ's flock. And that if you fulfill your duties in this office, ruling well, then you will be one who is worthy of double honor. 
and congregation do not neglect to render unto them the honor that is due to those who rule well. Your elders serve you out of love and care for Christ and for your souls. Be sure to show them double honor. And friends, remember that you are called to a life of uprightness and holiness before the Lord. Be sure that your sin will find you out. Do not forsake your covenant which you have made with Jehovah, but instead be men and women who love the church and are devoted to the advancement of the kingdom of God here in this place. Let's pray. O Lord, we come unto Thee and we are thankful for this guidance that Thou hast given us regarding the elders of Thy church. Let the elders here see these things and strive to be men worthy of double honor, for they rule well. Lord, let us as a congregation never fail to show that honor to those whom Thou hast appointed over us. And Lord, let us recognize that this office is a high and holy calling. That it's not one to be taken lightly. That those who are elected to serve in this office must not take it lightly. That those who are electing men to this office must not take it lightly. And Lord, protect us as a session from laying hands upon any man speedily. O Lord, protect Thy church here in this place and cause us to grow and increase in knowledge and wisdom and understanding through the faithful leadership of those appointed over us by Thy Spirit working in us through the proclamation of the Word of God. O Lord, let us not seek to hide our sins, but let us confess our sins, for Thou art faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. O Lord, let these truths guide our way and be with us for the remainder of our service this morning. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.